Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 9.13 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the next to last day of March 2023. What else is that? That's the next to the last day of the first quarter of this brand new spanking year. Where we see the U.S. dollar lose its basic hegemony on uh, being the world's reserve currency. Um... Gradually, then suddenly, I don't know what else to say. We live in the most interesting times that you can live in, and the Chinese proverb, which is not a proverb at all, but an actual curse, may you live in interesting times, is just basically permeating every molecule of air that we breathe right now. The Chinese, the Russians, the Saudis, the in you know India, they're all cozying up to each other, and this. You're talking about a what? Trying to think of the population. A third of the world's population is represented between India and China and Russia. And oh, oh, by the way, the Middle East, because as Saudi Arabia goes, the Middle East will follow. Even though a lot of the Middle East doesn't like Saudi Arabia, doesn't really matter. UAE is going to be in on this. I mean, they're they're signed. They signed a deal where they're going to trade in their you know. In, in Russia's gonna buy gas or uh, what is it? What is it? Russia's gonna buy oil and shit from Saudi Arabia or China's gonna buy it from Saudi Arabia and they're gonna use the Chinese yuan instead of the dollar. I mean, once see that's the thing is like when you got this group of people, this this mass of global players that basically just say, you know what, we're kind of done. And then the rest, like I said, the Middle East will follow Saudi Arabia, but who's going to follow after that? Africa. I mean, we might be able to eke out a deal with Central Central America, well, just Latin America in general, maybe, maybe, maybe. Apparently, Biden sat down on the phone yesterday and worked out some kind of deal with Vietnam. Steady, lads. We've got Vietnam on our side after we bombed the living piss out of them for like, you know, 10 full years. I, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to be a gloomer doomer here, dudes, but you know, we've got to recognize what actually is happening. <clears throat> not what we wish would happen, not what we think is going to happen, but what has actually happened. Boots on the ground facts kind of stuff. And boots on the ground facts kind of stuff doesn't look good for the United States dollar. It just doesn't. I I mean, there's only so much shit we can bomb. Hell, even Zelensky is wanting to go talk to Xi because we don't want to give them any more money. Is it because we don't? I don't think it's because we don't want to give them any more money. I think it's because we've run out of money. Although that's kind of an idiotic thing. But, you know, clearly we can just print it. But something's going on because Zelensky over in Ukraine is now wanting to talk to Xi 
get some money for the war, which is with Russia, which is one of China's trade uh, trading partners. You know, peace is next. That that shit's gonna end real quick. That's my prediction. This whole Ukraine Russian thing is literally going to evaporate almost overnight, most likely. Not to say that all the bombs dropped and all the people dead aren't aren't you know isn't a, isn't a thing because it damn well is. I'm just saying. With China getting in, I mean, they brokered a peace deal with, between Iran and Saudi Arabia. I, I mean, the wow. Wow. And people will say, we've been trying to do that for years. No, we haven't. We've pretended that we were trying to do that for years, but it was basically in our best interest to make sure that there was a really powerful enemy really close to Saudi Arabia so that they would need our protection. Right? It's like, it's a mafia, dude. That's like the United States federal government has turned into a mafia. And that's why I call for all 50 states to break out of the federal government's grasp, become their own freaking nation, and then we work together to reconstitute the United States of America without this beast that is the modern federal government. I could go on and on and on, but I won't. What I want to do is I want to make sure that you guys know that if you are using a legacy podcast app to listen to the show, if you're listening to Bitcoin and on something like Apple Podcasts, you're really doing yourself a disservice because those platforms are like the United States dollar. Gradually, then suddenly, they are going to die. And if you're not on a modern podcast app like Fountain.app, then you're, you, it would be better... It would be better to use them now and get used to them. And you don't really have to learn, quote unquote, how to use them. They're not difficult. They're just a podcast app, but they have all these neat features like boostograms and sat streaming. You can stream me sats while you listen to this, but you can't do that. You can't do that shit on Apple or I can name a whole host of other podcast apps that are quote unquote in the family of legacy podcast apps. And legacy is going to go away gradually, then suddenly, just like the United States dollar. So what apps are there that at least offer two things in the podcasting 2.0 universe? And those two things are the ability to send boostograms and the ability to stream Satoshis to your favorite podcast or your favorite podcaster. Podverse. Go get Podverse. If you don't like Podverse, go get CurioCaster. If you don't like CurioCaster, go get Fountain or Castomatic or Podstation or Breeze. And by the way, Breeze, if I remember correctly, was the very first podcasting 2.0 app because they basically built a podcast app right into the Breeze wallet. And that was the first one that I started using. And then I moved over to Fountain because it's a dedicated podcasting app with a lightning wallet inside of it instead of a lightning wallet with a podcast app inside of it. So the podcasting features in fountain uh, dot app is way, way better, right? So again, Podverse, CurioCaster, Fountain, Castomatic, Podstation, and Breeze. All right, where am I getting those names from? Podcastindex.org. You can just literally go to newpodcastapps.com, newpodcastapps.com. Let me make sure that I'm doing that right newpodcastapps.com yes newpodcastapps a p p s .com 
will take you right to podcastindex.org forward slash apps. And they've got some filters there. So if you want to make sure that you're getting one with Boostagram, select the filters tab and tie, uh, or uh, click the button for Boostagrams under supported elements. And you can see all kinds of neat stuff. But there are hundreds. <laughs> hundreds? No, there's tens. There are dozens of us <coughs> for you to choose from. And honestly, guys, legacy podcast apps are going away. No, I mean, you can't boost a gram. You can't clip. You, like if you were to clip a portion of this show and send it out on, on fountain.fm, guess who gets the, the Satoshis for all the likes and replies to that, uh, to that thing, to that clip. It's not me. It's you. That's right. You can make some money off of me. <laughs> you, if you find something in the show that you think other people would like, like to hear and, think it's worthwhile to spend your time clipping. If you clip it and send it out there, I don't get the Satoshis for that, for that clip. You do. And when somebody likes that clip, you get those Satoshis. And when somebody replies to that clip and decides to boost you within the reply section, you get that. I don't get any of that. No other podcast app allows you to make a sat off of a podcaster. You will only find this kind of stuff in podcasting 2.0. And as far as I know right now, what I just said is kind of more about fountain.fm or fountain.app than anything else. Now, you want some news? <laughs> you want to start with restrictions? Let's do it. Decrypt.co. Andre Bagansky. Coin Center says Restrict Act could be used to ban Bitcoin. There, there was, there's always a ban for Bitcoin coming. It's always there. It's always been there. It'll always be there. You know, we banned everybody in the world. The United States banned everybody in the world from buying oil in anything other than the U.S. dollar. What's China doing? What's Russia doing? What's India doing? What's Saudi Arabia doing? They're basically telling them to go fuck themselves, and we should too. A bar bipartisan group of senators introduced a bill earlier this month that seeks to bolster the federal government's powers in fighting perceived foreign technology threats. And some in the digital assets industry are warning it could possibly spell disaster for crypto. The bill, entitled the Restrict Act, at least they're not at least they're being transparent about the naming convention this time which stands for Restricting the Emergence of Security Threats that Risk Information and Communications Technology, has garnered the support of 21 lawmakers, all of which are traitors to the United States, just saying, uh, who've co-sponsored the bill as well as the White House, which has urged Congress to act quickly to send it to the president's desk. In the name of protecting America's national security, the bill calls on the Secretary of Commerce to identify, deter, disrupt, prevent, prohibit, and mitigate transactions involving information and communications technology products in which any foreign adversary has any interest by establishing new procedures. Its introduction preceded a congressional hearing on the TikTok, or sorry, the TikTok, hearing on TikTok last week, where officials grilled the social media application CEO with questions about the firm's ties to China. China. Oh, China. But the bill's language is so broad that it could be used to prevent Americans from conducting cryptocurrency transactions or engaging with networks like Bitcoin entirely, according to a blog post from the cryptocurrency advocacy group Coin Center. 
Quote, although the primary targets of this legislation are companies like TikTok, the language of the bill could potentially be used to block or disrupt cryptocurrency transactions and in extreme cases block Americans' access to open source tools or protocols like Bitcoin, it states. The advocacy's groups, uh, advocacy group's primary issue with the Restrict Act is that it would create a regime within the Secretary of Commerce that would effectively run parallel to the United States Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Assets, or OFAC, or Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC. Coin Center's Director of Research, Peter Van Valkenburg, told Decrypt. In that sense, Van Valkenburg said the regime would be redundant and create two different parts of the executive branch that can independently and without a lot of procedural checks ban technologies. Another problem with the bill, according to Coin Center, is the potential scope of the word interest, which could be exploited in order to ban Americans from using entire classes of technologies if interpreted broadly, the advocacy group warned in its blog. As an example, CoinCenter referenced the blacklisting of Ethereum coin mixing tool Tornado Cash last summer by OFAC, which CoinCenter is currently challenging in court. Under the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, the OFAC is granted the power to prevent Americans from transacting with sanctioned foreign persons. And though it's used to maintain privacy between people conducting Ethereum transactions, Tornado Cash was sanctioned by the OFAC as a whole for its alleged use by North Korean state-sponsored hacking groups to launder stolen funds. CoinCenter stated it would not object to the Restrict Act if it was used narrowly to prevent Bitcoin transactions with a specific recipient, but cautioned against an interpretation that could argue that the entire class of all Bitcoin transactions, for example, is a class of transactions in which U.S. foreign adversaries have an interest. And they do, by the way. That's me talking. The advocacy group also raised concerns about the ability of Americans to challenge abuses of power based on the bill's language and the potential for it to infringe on free speech compared to IEEPA. Quote, it's going to be harder to challenge the designations made by the Secretary of Commerce under the Restrict Act if it was to pass into law because of the limitations on people's ability to bring challenges, Van Valkenburg said. The bill's language is expansive in terms of the technology that it would apply to, including mobile networks, cloud-based or distributed computing and data storage, payment applications, and e-commerce technology, such as online marketplaces or internet-enabled payment technology. Quote, it's one thing to say that the national security complex should be able to ban specific examples of technology when they are directly owned and controlled by a foreign adversary, but it's another thing entirely to say that you can just identify a whole class of technologies irrespective of their foreign ownership and then claim that some foreign adversary has an interest in them, end quote. This Restrict Act is terrible. You, if, you, if you're not keeping up with this one, this is probably the most lethal piece of legislation that I've seen in the last ever <laughs> This thing is is entirely un-American. Any of the people that are sponsoring it, any of the co-writers should be deemed enemies of the state and summarily thrown over a bridge. I just, you know, I don't know what else to do with these fucking people. I, I mean, you lock them in a cage, I guess, but then you got to feed them. 
you could exile them, but if they get a hold of a telephone, then they can call their big buddies, you know, George Soros to help them do whatever they want to do to affect the American public from afar. So they end up being a foreign, foreign asset. It's just everything about this situation that we find ourselves in with Russia, China, India, and the rest of them cozying up together to this restrict act, to the banking crisis, all of it, all of it, all of it is like running a couple of planes into very tall buildings in the center of downtown New York city. That's ex- it, it is literally 9-11 all over again. It just looks different. It doesn't involve crashing machinery at high speeds into stationary objects and killing people directly. But the effects are the same. This is a terrorist act. This is a terrorist act by the United States federal government committed upon the American people and honestly the rest of the damn world. Because right now, even though... Russia and China and India and all those guys, the basically bricks are really starting to solidify and bake out in the sun like a true actual brick. And if somebody picks that son of a bitch up and throws it at your head, it's going to hurt and do a lot of damage. But right now, we still think that we can power project to any individual and just go get them with, I guess, a black op team or Navy SEALs or something like that and bring them to American justice. There is nothing justified about this Restrict Act. Everything about it is bad. The language is too extensive. And this is nothing but Iron Curtain 2.0. After World War II, Winston Churchill gave a speech when the Russians basically cut off communications with everybody. And I, not, I can't remember exactly what caused it. There was, a, there was a beef that Russia had with Europe. And the Americans, basically the what ended up being NATO, they had a beef, and they said, "You know what? We're just not talking to you guys anymore." And they in a and Winston Churchill described it as an iron curtain descending across Europe. And then we didn't really know what the Russians were doing after that. That's where spycraft became like all the rage because there was only one way to find out what the hell was going on in Russia because they weren't communicating with the outside world. They cut themselves off and then the Berlin Wall fell and then democracy, some sorts of democracy and capitalism came in and then they were basically buried under the rubble and filth of mafia-esque type bullshit going on in their own country. What I'm saying is that Russia whether they were the Soviet Socialist Republics, you know, the the USSR, when they converted over to the Russian Federation, it doesn't matter. They still have never crawled out from under the rubble of their own Iron Curtain. And we're doing the exact same thing here. This is like the Iron Curtain descending across Europe and 9-11 all rolled up into one. Nothing about this is good. And any of the people that have any connections to this thing that are saying, rah, rah, let's go with it. All of them should be considered your enemy and the enemy of your neighbor and the enemy of any American, even if you don't know them. Just had to say it that way. Now, let's continue that thread with this one from Tom Blackstone out of Cointelegraph. Mysterious entity may be collecting BTC users' IP addresses According to some Bitcoin developer, hope, hopefully that will be named. I get the feeling it's Jameson Lop, but these are cold reads, so I don't know yet. Now, if that 
headline scares you, if what I just talked about scares you, you cannot be scared. This is facts. <laughs> you cannot be scared of facts. You need to, if, you, if anything, you want to direct your energy instead of directing your energy to being scared and timid and like terrified, direct it to figuring out how you're just going to thumb your nose at all this shit. Okay. Anyway, so let's get, let's get this one going on. An unknown person or group may be collecting the IP addresses of Bitcoin users and linking them to their Bitcoin addresses, violating the privacy of these users, according to a blog post from pseudonymous Bitcoin app developer OXB1OC. The entity has been active since March 2018, and its IP addresses have shown up on several public posts from Bitcoin node operators over the past several years. OXB1OC is the developer of several Bitcoin analytics websites, including mempool.observer and transactionfee.info. They have also been awarded a Bitcoin developer grant from brink.dev in the past. OXB1OC calls the entity linking Lion because the IP addresses associated with, with it pass through Lion Link Network's co-location data center. However, Aaron and Ripe registry information reveal that this company is probably not the originator of the message, according to OXB1OC. The entity uses a range of 812 different IP addresses to open connections with Bitcoin full nodes that are visible on the network, also called listening nodes. Once it opens a connection, the entity asks the node which version of the Bitcoin software it is using. However, when the node responds with a version number and message stating that it has understood the request, the entity closes its connections about 85% of the time without responding. According to the post, this behavior may indicate that the entity is trying to determine if a particular node can be reached at a particular IP address. While the behavior isn't necessarily a cause for concern, it's what the entity does the other 15% of the time that may be. OXB1OC stated that about 15% of the time, linking Lion doesn't close the connection immediately. Instead, they either listen for inventory messages that contain transactions or send a request for an address and listen for both inventory and address messages. They then close the connection within 10 minutes. This behavior would normally indicate that the user is a node trying to update its copy of the blockchain. However, linking Lion never requests blocks or transactions, which implies that they must be pursuing some other purpose, the post said. OXB1OC stated that linking Lion might be recording the timing of transactions to determine which node first received a transaction, information that can then be used to determine the IP address associated with a particular Bitcoin address. The developer explained, quote, Connections that complete the version handshake and stay connected learn about our node's inventory, like transactions and blocks. The timing information, like, you know, when a node announces its new inventory, is especially relevant. The entity is likely to first learn about our new wallet transactions from us. As the entity is connected to many listening nodes, it can use that information to link broadcast transactions to IP addresses, end quote. To help protect the community from this privacy threat, OXB1OC has produced an open source ban list 
that nodes can implement to ban linking line from connecting to them. However, they also warned that the entity could get around this ban list by changing the IP addresses it used to connect. In OXB10C's view, the only permanent solution to the problem is to change the transaction logic within Bitcoin Core. Oh, fuck. I don't like that. Which developers have so far been unable to do. In a com- conversation with Cointelegraph, OXB10C stated that the vulnerability doesn't just affect users who run their own nodes. Even users who rely on a third-party server through a wallet like Electrum or Mycelium can still be victims of this invasion of privacy. Quote, when using Electrum Wallet, you connect to a remote Electrum server. You tell the server which addresses you are interested in, and when you send a transaction, you tell the server about that transaction. This is all linked to your IP address if you don't use Tor or something similar, they said. Quote, all linking line has to do is to run public Electrum servers and get people to connect to it. This has been suspected to be happening for years, and it has been recommended to run your, that you run your own Electrum server connected to your own node. End quote. Privacy has been a continuing concern for Bitcoin and crypto users over the years. Although Bitcoin addresses are pseudonymous, their transaction histories are entirely public. Bitcoin educator Andreas Antonopoulos has argued that Bitcoin will never be truly private. But Breeze Wallet has attempted to improve privacy on the network by utilizing off-chain transactions and cryptographic puzzles. (coughs) Okay. Cause for concern? Absolutely. Should you freak out and sell all your Bitcoin? Are you stupid? No. That's just dumb. We knew this was coming. See, that's the whole point. There's nothing about this that actually surprises me. It's just, it's still sad to see. I ain't happy about it. But if anybody's actually surprised that this occurred, then you're either brand new to Bitcoin or you simply just haven't been listening. Most likely it's the, it's the, the former. You're probably brand new to Bitcoin. But this argument has been going on for a while. But just to see it, actually materialized because before when we were talking about it, we didn't know what it might look like exactly. But now ah, the fog's kind of lifting and we can see shadows and shapes behind that curtain of fog because it's getting a little, it's lifting a little bit, right? And once you see what you're actually dealing with, then all of a sudden people start getting scared. Whereas, you know, they were worried, but because they couldn't see it, they could just theorize that it was out there operating in the background, wasn't so bad. But now we can see it. That makes things a little bit different. Um, always like, for instance, mynode.btc is, or mynode.btc is what I use for my node software. It's Tor by default. Does that mean that I'm completely safe? I do not assume that. I do not make that assumption. What we're trying to do is the same kind of thing that the forefathers founding the United States of America were doing. They were signing their name to a death warrant. When they signed the Declaration of Independence, every single one of those people knew that if they lost, they would be hung. Why do we believe that we are so different, that we can't be touched, that we will never suffer the slings and arrows of that which we consider our enemy? I'm not saying that we will. I'm just saying... This is an actual fight. It's just different than lining up British soldiers on a battlefield and getting picked off one by one because the guerrilla warfare 
of the Americans, which were hiding in the trees and shooting their ass because we're not dumb. They called us cowards, but it's like we won. Yes, I've said it before. We won probably because they have they only had their third string team playing because shit going down in India and the rest of the British Empire at the time. But we still won, right? And we weren't playing by their rules either. And the rules of the game was that you line up out in the open field and you shoot each other, and whoever has more people in the end wins. And it was just the it's they called it gentleman's warfare. I am not fucking in this to play gentleman games. I don't feel like being a gentleman. I don't believe that I'm dealing with gentlemen on the other side of the battle line. This whole thing is fucked. And therefore, I will use whatever it is that I can. I will use whatever guerrilla warfare that I can to make sure that not only do I survive, but that Bitcoin survives. I will not stop running my fucking node. I'm just not. If they want to come take me to jail, I guess I'll probably go to jail. I don't know. I really don't. But if we don't all start fighting this fucking thing, then the entire country will be a jail. They won't have to put you into whatever. You won't be flown down to, you know, Oklahoma to go to their supermax prison. You won't have to go to, you know, Gainesville, Texas, or wherever we've got our big prison thing. No, they'll just keep you in your house. They'll just turn the entire... Escape from New York as a movie, just put in Escape from America. And it won't just be the United States of America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, all these stupid-ass people, all the, the entirety of the European Union. They'll, it'll all just be one gigantic prison. And you got to ask yourself, why? Who benefits? I mean... What is it to be rich? What is it to be rich when there's nobody to show your wealth to because they're all in prison and they can't see you? I, 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 I'm beyond, I'm out of my depth of philosophical thought on that idea. I've got no fucking clue. Do you? Do you? If you do, send me a, a boost now, Latin America, let's get into my, one of my favorite places on the planet, even though I've only been to Mexico, which is technically Latin America, but it's actually not, it's actually still North America. Canada, United States, Mexico, that's North America. All right, but still, Latin America's largest e-commerce platform to enable Bitcoin trading in Chile, Mercado Libre, oh, oh sorry, sorry, uh, BTC Casey. BitcoinMagazine.com. Mercado Libre, the largest e-commerce platform in Latin America, has announced that it has enabled Bitcoin and cryptocurrency trading for its users in Chile, or Chile, or Chile, however you want to pronounce it. The feature will allow Chilean users to buy, sell, and save Bitcoin through the company's Mercado Pago wallet app. This makes Mercado Pago the first digital account in the country to offer this type of operation, according to a statement posted on LinkedIn by Osvaldo Jimenez, president of Mercado Libre. That may be Jimenez because it starts with a G and not a, not a J. The aim of the move is to eliminate barriers to accessing the cryptocurrency market in Chile, making it more accessible to people with less experience or knowledge in the field, the announcement said. The process is expected to be very simple and with very low minimum output or amounts to operate 
so that even novice users can take their first steps in the market. Quote, we continue to open the doors of the crypto world for millions of users in the region, first Brazil and Mexico, and now also Mercado Pago users in Chile can buy, sell, and save Bitcoin, Jimenez said in a translated statement. Mercado Libre previously enabled the feature for its Brazilian customers in November 2021. The development came after the company purchased $7.8 million worth of Bitcoin in May of 2021. Woo! Purchasing straight up, straight up Bitcoin. Got the corn. All right. Latin America and Africa are the two most important countries for Bitcoin, in my opinion. Eastern Europe comes next, Balkans, Baltics, that kind of thing. And then we move over into Southeast Asia and some of the, you know, I don't know, not so put upon countries like maybe like Vietnam. Maybe our good friends in Vietnam who are going to help us bring us out of this de-dollarization of the United States because, you know, we're friends with somebody we bombed the living shit out of for 12 years. Whatever. Good luck on that. But Africa, Latin America. My concentration specifically is Latin America. Why? Because I'm on, I'm on that side of the Atlantic Ocean. I'm also on that side of the Pacific Ocean, right? They're south of me. They make the most sense for Bitcoin adoption. They've been destroyed economically over and over and over again for a hundred years. If well, probably a hell of a lot longer than that. I'm just saying that for at least a hundred years we've basically been using them as an open toilet for our economic bullshit. So, like, when, what I really enjoyed, I was so wrong about my initial thoughts about the Nostrica conference not being in El Salvador. God, how wrong I was. They put it in Costa Rica. And of course, we discovered that in Costa Rica, Bitcoin is blooming like a flower there as well. And when you look at the map of Central America, you've got El Salvador up on the north side, like the north end of Central America. You've got Honduras over to its east. And then down to the south, you cross, I can't remember the name of the country, but then you get right to Costa Rica and down south from that is Panama, where the Panama Canal is. In my opinion, out of all of Latin America, that is the most important thing to focus on. It's Central America. Strategically, that's the play. That's the play economically because they've been so shit upon. It's also the play in a global economic strategic standpoint because of the existence of the Panama Canal, which, like dumbasses that we were in the United States, turned over complete and utter control of that thing to Panama. You got to orange pill Panama. Are there any Panamanians that listen to this podcast? Please, please orange pill the living shit out of your camaraderie. All right. Anybody that you are friends with, any of your family members, if you're Panamanian, dude, get this shit going on because the Panama Canal would allow for so much. And if you had to pay Bitcoin to get through that thing, well, now there you go. You've got a control lock between the Atlantic and the Pacific. I know it's just stupid for me to even suggest it because who wouldn't send in a special ops team to completely eradicate all the operators of the Panama Canal? Well, how many people can muster around and protect the Panama Canal? See, I don't even, I don't know where any of this goes. You know, I mean, 
for like somebody's like, oh, well, see, you're just really inexperienced at, at, at global stuff, global macroeconomic stuff and global governance and what these people are capable of. Dude, if you had told me that the dollar would not be used to buy oil from Saudi Arabia 10 years ago, I would have said that you were stupid. Who was wrong about it then? I have no idea what this shit looks like in the future. And anybody who just poo-poos any kind of idea whatsoever, you may be missing the bigger picture. Because it's so confusing right now, literally anything can happen. It's not outside the realm of possibility that Panama gets fully orange pill and tells the rest of the world, if you want to use the Panama Canal, you will pay us in Bitcoin. Fuck your fiat, your dollars, your rubles, your yuan, your e-whatever, not taking it. We take Bitcoin. That's it. If you want your tug or your boat or your bullshit to get from the Atlantic to the Pacific, pay up, motherfucker, and do it in orange coin. That is not outside the realm of possibility. It may be, it may be kind of, you know, a little far-fetched. But what was far-fetched 10 years ago was that anybody paying for oil without the United States dollar, that was far-fetched. You'd have been laughed out of rooms all over the country. In fact, all over the world, if you had suggested such a thing, and people were, because people were suggesting such a thing, and they were, what, laughed out of the room. Don't sleep on Panama. We've got El Salvador. We skipped a country, went down south. Now I got Costa Rica. You get Panama, Nicaragua, Honduras, all the rest of Central America becomes bright orange. And the entire world changes overnight. Except maybe in Texas, where we might be stupid. We might still be stupid. I'm not sure. I will always have Texas in my heart, even though I don't live in that state. I was born, raised there, lived there for decades. I will always be a Texan. Therefore, that's why I say we. Texas Senator or Texas Senate Committee hears testimony on bill that would ban Certain energy arrangements with Bitcoin miners. Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey writing, the Senate Committee on Business and Commerce heard testimony in regards to a Texas bill that would prohibit flexible load agreements between Bitcoin miners and energy providers yesterday. The bill aims to ban the arrangements in which energy providers like ERCOT would pay Bitcoin mining operators to turn off their facilities, effectively freeing the now excess energy for usage during emergencies or high demand period times. <coughs> high, sorry, high demand time periods. Bitcoin Policy Institute senior fellow Natalie Smolinski notes in a tweet that the bill also seeks to ban tax abatements for miners in Texas because mining is already projected to grow in the state. And here's her exact tweet. She says, uh, the enemies of Bitcoin in Texas are also introducing legislation. Texas Senate Bill 1751 seeks to, one, prohibit ERCOT from compensating Bitcoin miners for shutting down during demand spikes and to ban tax, tax abatements for miners in Texas because mining is already going to grow in the state, end quote. Riot Platform's Vice President of Research, Pierre Rochard, testified that the presence of the company in Texas has beneficial impacts on rural communities, employment, and energy production. Bitcoin miners are the number one employer in Rockdale. Bitcoin miners are also the number one taxpayer to Rockdale ISD. Bitcoin mining is good for rural education. Even if you are skeptical of Bitcoin, 
These abatements have been highly effective at revitalizing rural communities, end quote. And that's Pierre Rochard talking. I'm pretty sure that's Pierre. Yes, that's Pierre Rochard talking. Uh, proponents of the bill, like its sponsor state Senator Lois Kolkhurst, cities uh, cites the state's goal of increasing energy production, saying that the mining industry usage of this energy and subsequent shutoff arrangements with ERCOT, ERCOT is part of their business model. But as Bitcoin Magazine's Mark Goodwin notes, energy production curves of renewables, which represents a growing proportion of the state's energy, will potentially improve, not degrade, with the usage of Bitcoin mining. All right. Texas on deck to be stupid and, you know, take the gun out of the holster and point it at their own head and blow their own brains out. I don't want to see that happen. <laughs> I don't want to see that happen. Now, here's here's the thing. I I would almost go with this as a compromise, although you should never compromise with the enemy. If the mining industry is to grow in Texas, and it is, and it will, then tax abatements, generally speaking, are always put in place to attract new industries and new businesses. And if they stay around long enough and you get a good state, you've got your companies, your new technologies and your new business models and your new stuff, and they've planted firmly in Texas, after a while, when they solidify and stabilize, you can lift those abatements. I mean, I, I, I don't like taxes. I, I, I get it. Tax, taxation is theft. and There shouldn't be a tax in the first place. But what worries me more about this bill than the banning of tax abatements is the banning of having a private company have an agreement with another private company. Because if you think ERCOT is state-run, you're wrong. It's not, it may be state regulated. There may be a whole shit ton of state actors for the state of Texas inside of ERCOT. But ERCOT itself, as far as I know, is actually a private concern. It's a private grid. To ban the facilitation of an agreement between a private company and another private company is inherently un-American. It's certainly un-Texan. And the person behind this bill and the people that co-signed it, the people that are co-authoring it, the people that are co-sponsoring it should be driven out of Texas, tarred and feathered at the border and sent to Louisiana, maybe where they can battle the crocodiles and alligators on the bayou. I don't know. Don't give a shit. These people suck. They're anti-Texan. But if I had to make a choice between those two, I would say, okay, take the tax abatements away. Because that is survivable by these by most of these companies. Maybe not all, but I'll bet you it would be. It's it's the limiting of the agreements between private companies. That shit, you lit that you got precedence to limit stuff completely outside of Bitcoin and electricity. Dude, that none of this makes sense. Whoever this is in Texas needs to be taken out behind the shit. Now, from bat signal to Bitcoin, projecting orange pill on banks in the European Union drives crypto regulation. Woohoo! Coin Telegraph, Gareth Jenkinson. <coughs> Pardon me, excuse me. The Bitcoin logo. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Quote The signal goes on and he shows up. That's the way it's been. That's the way it will be. End quote. Whenever 
Gotham faces an existential threat. The bat signal lights up the night sky. In the DC Comics universe, Batman always shows up to save the day when he's called upon. Bitcoiners in Germany enjoyed a similar tactic this week, emblazoning the preeminent cryptocurrency's logo with a message to study Bitcoin on the side of the European Central Bank building in Frankfurt. The images were shared widely across social media with notable Bitcoin proponents and various company profiles lauding the display. A dose of the proverbial orange pill is particularly pertinent given that the global banking sector has been under the spotlight after the collapse of major institutions such as Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in the United States. I noticed you didn't mention Credit Suisse. Whatever. Meanwhile, European parliamentarians adopted a new draft bill focused on anti-money laundering and counterfeiting or countering the financial financing of terrorism or CFT which sets out potential new rules enforcing know-your-customer requirements for traditional financial and crypto-related services. In addition, parliamentarians seek to restrict cash and cryptocurrency payments for goods and services where customers cannot be identified. As per the draft legislation, the rules limit cash payments of up to 7,000 euros for cryptocurrency transactions or 1,000 euros if the user's identity is unknown. (laughs) That won't last. I'm surprised they're allowing that shit at all. These proposed new rules are separate from the European Parliament's impending markets uh, in crypto assets, or the MICA bill, which is set to come into effect in 2024. (coughs) Sorry, guys. Pollen is really high in my region right now. A proposed set of rules and guidelines aimed at regulating the cryptocurrency market in Europe. Liam Murphy, managing director of EMEA at Watchman, tells Cointelegraph that the AML CFT bill adopted on March the 28th is focused on approving stricter rules to close gaps in combating money laundering, terrorist financing, and the evasion of sanctions in the European Union. Quote, it is a separate policy track to MICA, although like with many policy actions, there is some crossover. It should be noted that this was just one more step in the regulatory process and the bill is far from passed yet. Quote, end quote. Murphy added that he was also looking for more clarity on whether cryptocurrency transaction limits only apply to commercial transactions and not to transfers between private individuals. Given that Watchman serves a number of cryptocurrency service providers as a communications firm, Murphy noted industry participants are becoming more cognizant that the sector could use regulation to meet its full potential. Uh, God, the apologists. Quote, innovation is unpredictable by its very nature. We are experiencing a digital revolution, and there is a real danger of both overregulation and underregulation. Oh, we got to get the regulation just right. God damn Goldilocks. Erwin Volander, senior policy fellow at the European Blockchain Association, also spoke to Cointelegraph about the European Parliament's draft bill's implications for cryptocurrency payments. He highlighted the greater clarity over AML CTF provisions as welcome, but contended that a double standard is constantly applied to crypto payments. Volador said the MEPs had previously backpedaled on the need to go through a CASP for the KYC process under Article 59A due to being unnecessarily onerous, according to industry feedback. Quote, The caps on crypto transactions make the case that crypto transactions are seven times as risky as cash transactions from an AML CTF perspective. 
which in comparison to the available data on global money, money laundering does not line up, end quote. What also remains difficult to gauge <coughs> is how cryptocurrency services like decentralized finance protocols and even decentralized autonomous organizations will be governed by potential new laws. Quote, MICA left fully decentralized finance out of scope because it's often difficult to, difficult to determine chain of liability. Volador used an example considering that a DeFi platform may have an interface that is client-facing, but the actual economic activity takes place within the smart contract, which is abstracted and independent from the interface layer. This suggests that there is a strategy forming at the margins of the industry that could bring liability and default reporting obligations to the DeFi space, including non-fungible tokens. The AML-focused legislation brings crypto under its purview to tighten up commercial transactions across Europe. Meanwhile, the cryptocurrency space is shining a broad spotlight on the recent failings of the traditional banking sector. What remains to be answered is which industry needs more oversight at this moment in time. Yeah, this is a... a, a the West is completely freaking out. Europe, United States, Mexico, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. That's pretty much, well, in Japan, but Japan, I don't know. Japan's sort of like a free safety as uh, in, in uh, football speak. Just kind of out there, able to do its own stuff a little bit, but generally connected to, to the West. But Europe... You know, the Netherlands, uh, like Finland, anybody outside, like, first of all, all of NATO, <laughs> all of NATO, any of those countries are freaking out. Anybody that's considered the, a Western nation or, or Westernized nation that's not in NATO, yeah, they're freaking out too because all this shit is connected. The only thing they have left is oppression, authoritarianism, totalitarianism, and then what's going to happen? Russia, as a former communist country, is going to be more free than the United States. Would that same? Would I say the same thing from China? No. Russia, yeah. India, possibly. But that's how sad it is. I'm not even saying that they'll change their ways. I'm just saying the way they look right now is actually going to look much freer if the assholes in the West are not literally deported to some deserted island somewhere. I don't know how to do that. I wish I did. I, you know, the only thing that I can figure is that we just don't listen to them. That the developers keep developing tools. And I think developers at this point should start doing what, uh, like the named developers that have quote unquote quit crypto and Bitcoin specifically, should come back and never let us know who they are ever again. Where they end up becoming the OPSEC masters of the universe. And they continue to build the tools that we need to be able to completely circumvent. Not even circumvent. I want tools that literally make everything that the Western nations are trying to perpetrate right now upon the world obsolete, ineffective completely neg you know completely negated not circumvent because if i circumvent something then that means that that thing is still a force to be reckoned with and i just want to go around it i want tools that make 
these things evaporate like mist. Fuck them all. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities, West Texas Intermediate up 1.74% to $74.24. Brent North Sea, likewise up 1.43% to $79.04. Natural gas is down a full 4%, back down to $2.09.5 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline up a third of a point to $2.67 a gallon. I just saw over in Idaho... Uh, on the Idaho side of the border where uh, gasoline is consistently like 60 cents less than anywhere in Washington because Washington state has onerous fuel taxes. So I just drive my happy ass over to over to somewhere, some gas station anywhere on the Idaho side and go fill up. So Washington doesn't get its taxes off me. Sorry, Washington, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a Texan. I don't, I literally at this point don't give a fuck about anything other than Texas, even no matter where I live. I know that's probably an asshole thing to say, but it's the truth. Uh, they raised their prices over in Idaho 10 cents the day before yesterday. It's been at like $3 and 49 cents a gallon on the extreme Western side of Idaho for God only uh, since I've been here almost. <clears throat> and then, uh, day before yesterday I saw it and I was like, Oh shit. It went up to like three fifty nine or whatever it was. It was a, a dime increase. So just be aware that just because ga- oil, oil and natural gas prices go down does not necessarily mean that that reflects in, in fuel prices, uh, probably because of refinery shortages and whatnot like that. Gold, all of your shiny, shiny metal rocks are kicking some serious ass today and gold hit $2,000 an ounce. Let's, let's honestly... It's not that I'm saying buy gold over Bitcoin. You know I like orange coin. However, there's a lot, most of the gold bugs are Bitcoiners and they don't know it yet. And all the Bitcoiners are, you know, have been gold bugs or have the sentiment of being a gold bug. We just choose to have transportable money rather than bricks of shiny metal rocks. But we all believe the same thing. So that's why I applaud gold hitting $2,000 an ounce today after a 0.81% rise. Silver likewise, but way up. Point, no, God, no. 2.36% to the upside. It hit 24 bucks. Platinum is up 1.89%, almost hitting $1,000 an ounce. Copper is up 0.11%. Palladium is up 1.8%. Uh, ag, we're talking eh, mostly up to the green, slightly mixed. Biggest loser today is wheat, 1.56% to the downside. And everybody's favorite pancreas killer sugar is up 3.39%. Uh, what else? Chocolate's up one and a half. I like chocolate. Dow, down, scant, 0.01%. S&P is up a quarter of a point. NASDAQ up 0.69%. And S&P mini likewise up a quarter of a point. Real money chilling out at $28,284.99, and that's after 350,000 BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours, with an average transaction value of 1.1 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.013 BTC, or 366 bucks. The block times are low again, 9 minutes and 40 seconds. 
uh, 0.18 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 27 and a half taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. And thanks to a 10.19% increase in hash rate, we are up to 348 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator as usual is Doge at 7.5 United States pennies. Yeah, good luck on that. Good luck on that. We have a $546.4 billion market cap. And even though gold hit $2,000 an ounce, which it hasn't seen in quite some time, we have 4.13% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 14.3 ounces of the shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,332,299 and a half of, and 5,398.4 of them sons of bitches are jamming in the Lightning Network valued at $152.6 million, being run over 16,377 nodes that we can see sporting 74,951 payment channels that we can see and 67 and a half of all that's being run over Tor. I highly recommend getting it back up to more like 98% after some of the shit we read earlier today. We've got 27,445 blocks or transit. Sorry, let's do it again. 27,473 transactions are waiting on 71 blocks to clear. Let's go double check that with mempool.space. No. Clark Moody, what is going on? I'm showing at least 34,000 transactions waiting on 127 blocks to clear. And everything that is under 2.1 Satoshi per V-byte is being purged from most mempools. Uh, Six Satoshis per V-byte is a no priority. 21 Satoshis per V-byte is low priority. 25 Satoshis per V-byte is high priority. So you're going to get your SegWit transaction as long as it's not really all that complicated in for about a buck. And if you're transferring $10,000 worth of Bitcoin for a dollar, what? I don't understand the bitch fest. Whatever. Uh, We've got, what, a 1.7% difficulty increase slated for April the 6th, 2023. So there you go. And that's, that's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Hello, Booster. Got some Boostergrams that I want to read. Uh, we've got from episode 300, no, God, 300, 693, which was yesterday's interview with Scott Lindbergh from the game Huddle Up. And I hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, gaming and Bitcoin is one, two of my favorite subjects. And when they uh, collide together, there's a hell of an edge effect there. Anyway, Bubba with 21,012 sats, the mega rush boost, 2112, if you're not following that one, uh, says, I miss you, man. I was away with Mr. Odell. In fact, the trip to Monaco was on me. Just a humble truck driver or maybe a whale, but me and Maddie had a lot of hookers and blow. (laughs) Basically a family type weekend. I love you, Bubba. <laughs> you're the greatest, dude. Uh, if you're not following Bubba on Twitter, I think he's still. I think he's still on Twitter. Uh, just it's, I think it's at Bubba on Twitter. He's worth the follow. He's a, he's a great guy. Uh, Blizza with 420 from show 692 says boost. 
Uh, N.W. with a row of sticks from 692 episode. Uh, what was SBF thinking? Not thoroughly reading the Foreign Corrupt Business Act front to back before engaging in his bribery. That hoser deserves his punishment, lazy kid. It's possible he's lazy. You want me to go full, full Alex Jones? I believe that none of the terrorist attacks that have occurred in this century of United States prominence has actually been organic. I think it's all been programmed. Do I have any proof whatsoever? No, no, I don't. Sometimes it's better to go with your gut. Because think about it this way. What do I lose? What do I lose if I think that it is the case that the United States and other foreign actors, probably from the EU, Mexico, Canada, the rest of the West, all the NATO NATO nations clearly hate their citizenry and they want to control them. They want to be authoritative. They want to be totalitarian. They really want this. You can tell by their actions. What does it cost me? to immediately assume that these assholes, whenever they go to their Bilderberg meetings or what, Council of Foreign Relations or whatever the hell it is, that they're not figuring out how to fake terrorist attacks so that they can do what? AMLKYC CFT. There you go. I can't, I can't transact with you over a thousand euros in Europe without, I mean, a thousand euros, really? I can't buy a car for that. Why do they why do they care if I buy a car or a refrigerator for that matter? I mean, you know, honestly, really? This has nothing to do with terrorism because I think that they actually committed all the terrorism. I really do. I think I think SBF was a plan. I think he was told, "Don't worry about it. We got your back. We'll fake your death like we did Epstein." Do I have any proof of that? No, I don't. And I don't give a shit. I'll say whatever the hell I want to say. In either event, It doesn't cost me anything to guard against the worst possible solution and hope for the best rather than to think that everything is going to be just fine and do no preparation whatsoever. Which is why I run my Bitcoin node over Tor. Is that a complete protection? No. They can pull the plug. It's possible that Tor is just a, a great big old honeypot that the government set up. I don't know and I don't care right now because if for whatever reason this shit goes completely south like a duck in winter, the prison that they send you to isn't going to be anything different than the prison that you didn't get sent to because you were a good little boy or girl in the United States or Canada. It's still a prison. Whether you're in a supermax or you're living at, you know, 3112 Cessna Street in Odessa, Texas, it's not going to matter. So I choose to believe that all of this for the last 23 years and probably planned well before that is simply to put the West under the thumb of whatever people or groups want us under their thumb. I don't even have to know the reason. I just know that I don't want to have any part of it. I, you know, I don't know what to tell you after that. Anyway, good stuff as always is the boost I just got from JC Denton, 2100 sats. Uh, O2ZX, 2500 sats says, boosting just cause. Debozik says, shaz for a boob sat. 
8008 Satoshis. Nick underscore Dose says, cheers, with 3,456 3, Satoshis. And then Dub co with 1,000 Sats says, why does hash rate scream up right before the adjustment? If I had all new machines or a higher percentage of my fleet was, I would pay extra money, including telling my power provider to spin up a natural gas Jenny to run all my equipment, making the next adjustment as difficult as possible, leaving fleets with more that with more S nines in the dust for the next two weeks. Someone correct me though. That's plausible. That makes sense. He's answering the question that I that I asked on the show probably 689. That's where the episode uh, is coming from that he's boosting. That's perfectly plausible. Even that tight ass two week window is just you know that might you know like all retail is always running in the red until until Black Thursday, you know like the the Thursday after Christmas. That's when they go into the black. They run almost the entire year in the red. And they get out of it in November and December. Two months. Out of out of 12 months, two months, most retail run in the black. At, you know, for 10 months of the year, they, you know, barely able to make payroll. It's whatever, dude. So that makes sense. Thank you very much. Fatoshi with a rose stick says, the non-zero risk of government action to confiscate privately held Bitcoin that I mentioned last time is in the next five years not any given five-year window. Hope I'm wrong, but I give it a non-zero chance in my threat model. The threat of me accidentally dying and taking my coins to the grave is way higher for now. Point taken, sir. And last one, Dubrovko, again with a thousand sats, says, Dunbar's number is in full effect with regards to how governments relate to their citizens. That's fucking brilliant. I love that. That answers tons of questions. Dunbar's number is the amount of people that you can have fully functional relationships with. That means in a village of like, I don't know, uh, let's say 200 people. And I can't remember what Dunbar's number is, but it's like in the low hundreds. It's like 157. That's the amount of people that you can remember their first and last name. You remember who they're married to. You remember what they do for a living. You remember tragedies and triumphs of their lives. They're your friends. You know them in a way that humans are meant to know people. And past 157 or whatever Dunbar's number is, you've got no hope. And that's why we have money. So that we can coordinate actions with people that are outside of our Dunbar number limit and not have to trust them because we don't know them personally like we do with the people that are inside the Dunbar numbers envelope. That makes sense. The governments are dealing with us like, like we are outside the Dunbar's number because we are. The president of the United States cannot have a personal relationship with 300 and some odd million people. It's impossible. It doesn't work that way. And then you break it off into the states. The governor of Texas cannot have a personal relationship with however, whatever the population of Texas is. Many multiple millions of people. The mayor of Houston cannot have a personal relationship with every single resident in Houston because it's outside of Dunbar's number. Maybe one of the thing, particulars of Dunbar's number is that after a while, people that are outside your 
gut feeling of Dunbar's number become an automatic enemy. Maybe that's maybe that's a a human trait that we don't understand yet that we've never entertained. But that's brilliant. Dunbar's number is in full effect with regards to how governments relate to their citizens. Now, on to the news. In the face of banking crisis, the Bitcoin price rise is proving us right. Robert Hall, bitcoinmagazine.com. The events of the last few weeks have spooked investors and regional banks alike. More importantly, the people who go to work and make the economy run are starting to question whether their bank deposits are safe. Fears of more bank runs after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, Silvergate Bank, and Credit Suisse are rampant. (coughs) And these fears are not unfounded, if you ask me. For instance... When you turn on the TV and you see that First Republic needs $30 billion in bailout money to stay afloat, it doesn't inspire confidence in the banking system. No, no, no. And more banking chaos could come. Legendary investor Michael Burry believes that two more banks could be in trouble in Comerica Bank and United States Bank Corp. Essentially, these banks are in the same position that SVB was in. The likelihood of more bank bailouts seems to be increasing by the day. To top it all off, federal regulators are studying the possibility of ensuring all bank deposits in the entire banking system. There are approximately $19 trillion in bank deposits in the banking system. We'll say it again. There are approximately $19 trillion, with a T, in bank deposits in the banking system. Any talk of ensuring the bank deposits of every bank in America is insane and outright dangerous. Talk about throwing more fuel on the fire. I think this would make people more worried about their money and spur more bank runs. The government and the Federal Reserve are playing with fire. The Federal Reserve is reacting to situations instead of being clear-headed and planning ahead. This will lead to overreaction and implementing policies that could do more harm than good. It's crazy that the fate of the entire economy is in the hands of people like Janet Yellen, Jerome Powell, and Joe Biden. Do you sleep like a baby at night knowing these people are in charge of the economic fate of the planet? How we got to this place is well documented and there is no reason to go into detail, but taking a step back makes you realize what a precarious situation we are in right now. I want to be the first to say in chaotic times like this, thank God we have Bitcoin. We certainly, we heard, sorry, we have certainty that our money is our money and there is no third party that is going to fuck with it and inflate its value away. There are no third parties that can stop you from accessing it. No one can stop you from spending it on what you want or sending it to whomever you choose. For the first time in history, the power to transact is truly in the hands of the people. Bitcoin is the most innovative monetary technology ever created. This realization is starting to dawn on people as more people flock to the safety of Bitcoin during times of turbulence. The Bitcoin price has ripped higher on the news of these recent bank collapses. As of this writing, in the last 14 days alone, the price of Bitcoin has shot up 28.8%. This is a massive move in a matter of two weeks. Is it safe to say that Bitcoin is becoming a risk-off asset in the eyes of the average consumer. It is certainly trending that way. Bitcoiners already know this to be true. We are simply waiting for everyone to play catch up in real time. As of the writing of this article, the price is just north of 28,000 and in all likelihood won't stay there for long if news of more bank failures comes to pass. Bitcoiners already, oh sorry, 
as a Bitcoiner, it is nice for more people to realize that we have come to about Bitcoin and start to save their wealth in Bitcoin. On the other hand, I didn't want it to happen in such a way that endangers the entire global economy. Some believe Bitcoin will reach $1 million in the next 90 days. What a time to be alive, right? Events will happen the way they are supposed to happen. The best thing we can do as Bitcoiners is to continue to spread the word about Bitcoin to anyone who will listen and continue to stack sats accordingly. Quote, there are decades where nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happen. Vladimir Lenin had that quote. Not that I like quoting dead communists, but I feel like this is appropriate for the times we are living in. 2023 could up in, could end up being a consequential year for Bitcoin and the globe. Buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. Robert Hall is not wrong. This is the, the this is the whole gradually then suddenly thing and maybe Balaji maybe Balaji had some inside baseball on that one. I'm not saying that Balaji is going to be financially wrecked if he loses his Bitcoin bet. He's not. A million dollars to Balaji that's like, that's like, I don't know. That's like taking your friends out to dinner and just not giving a shit about what they order. Uh, it, it, it's exactly like that for Balaji. But you do lay a little bit of your uh, reputation on the line when you make calls like that. And he's calling for $1 million in 79 days from now. I think it's 79. I think that's where the ticker is at. I'm sure somewhere on Twitter, somebody's developed a bot. Well, actually, no, that's right. Elon is, is, has really screwed up the ecosystem, so maybe there's not. Hey, anybody on Noster make a bot that has a countdown timer for uh, Balaji's bet? That would be, I would, to- I would totally follow that in pub. I would absolutely follow that in pub. So if you build it, make sure you send me the in pub in a boostagram, and I will definitely follow it, and I will push it out to other people. But maybe, just maybe, Balaji ain't wrong. As, as, Insane as it sounds, what if he's not wrong? I hope he is. And you're going, my God, why wouldn't you want Bitcoin to be a million dollars? Why would I want million, like, let's say that I had 100 Bitcoin. And if Balaji's right, I automatically end up with, at that moment, $100 million of U.S. dollars worth of purchasing power in the United States market. Oh, God, I could go grab a ranch. Well, okay, that's great. Maybe I get a ranch. Maybe I'm smart enough to locate that ranch that is so far outside of everything that I never see the following happen. Cities burning to the ground because people can't feed their babies because million-dollar Bitcoin in 79 days from now is exactly how you get that shit. I don't want it to happen that quick. I don't want the global economy to crumble where the people that have not got in the lifeboat just suddenly drown. And there's no way that we can get to them. We're doing and have been doing everything we can to get people into lifeboats and they keep laughing at us and they keep telling us that we're Alex Jones. They keep telling us that we're crazy and they keep telling us that we suck and we keep, they keep telling us that we're at blame, that we caused this. It's our fault. And yet we still are reaching for the people that are fighting us to drag them out of the fucking water. They're spitting in our face. They're grabbing our hair. They're punching us, telling us that we suck. And we are still here making no money, trying to pull these assholes into the boat. And we will not stop. No matter 
how they tear the flesh from our face, no matter how they rip our fingernails out of our fucking hands, no matter how much hair they pull out of our scalp, we're not giving up on these people. We need everybody in the life raft that we can get. The only people that I will not con- that I will not save are anybody that are that has any upper echelon government connections. Senators, fuck them. Let them drown. House of Reps, don't give a shit, even if I like them. I, I mean, I might consider saving Rand Paul, but that's just because of, you know, I like his old man. And that maybe, just maybe, Rand has something in him. But, mo- but if I can't get to him, I ain't going to fight to it. Besides, I think he already understands Bitcoin himself. I think he's already orange-pilled. President of the United States, let him drown. Nancy Pelosi, let her drown. Anybody that had connections that are now on the speaking circuit for the Council of Foreign Relations, right? I, no, don't care. I want plebs. I want normal, regular United States American citizens and citizenry of the rest of the world. I want those people are the more important people to pull into the boats. Bankers and billionaires and government entities, let them drown. Don't care. Don't give a shit. But if Bitcoin hits a million dollars, 79 days from now, the aftermath of that is going to be something that you really don't want to see. Now, I, could I be wrong? Of course I could be wrong. I reserve the right to be wrong. So let's see, A, if Balaji is right, and B, if I'm right. I hope that Balaji is right and I am 100% wrong. That's what I'm hoping for. I hope Balaji wins and I lose. I know that's really weird to say, but that's the way I feel about it. Now, SEC Gensler, he seeks $2.4 billion in funding to chase down crypto misconduct. And Luke Hughesloot is going to tell us about it from Cointelegraph. United States, uh, <laughs> United States Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler has thrown his support behind United States President Joe Biden's request to allocate a record $2.4 billion in funding for the regulator, highlighting the ongoing need to crack down on misconduct in the cryptocurrency industry. And then they fight in prepared testimony for the March 29th budget hearing for the House Appropriations Committee. Gensler said the additional funding was needed. Needed. We need it to keep up the pace of innovation. Adding, quote, rapid technological innovation in the financial markets has led to misconduct in emerging in new areas, not least in the crypto space. Addressing this requires new tools, expertise, and resources. Pausing to tell anybody within the range of my voice, do not go work for the SEC. Make them beg for you and then tell them what they can do with it. Tell them to go pound sand. Continuing, the additional funding would allow the SEC to hire 170 additional staff, don't go work for them, most of whom would work within its enforcement and examination division, said Gensler. The SEC chair said that the prior year's budget increase allowed it to bring staffing levels above what it was in 2016 for the first time, but said the regulatory agency was still stretched thin, adding, quote, as, as the cop on the beat, we must be able to meet the match of bad actors. Thus, it makes sense for the SEC to grow along with the expansion and increased complexity in the capital markets. 
Bitcoin fixes this, by the way. Gensler again described crypto as the Wild West, suggesting the nascent industry is rife with non-compliance and that crypto investors were putting their hard-earned assets at risk in a highly speculative asset class, end quote. According to Gensler, the regulator received more than 35,000 separate tips, complaints, and referrals from whistleblowers and others in fiscal year 2022, which helped it bring more than 750 enforcement actions and resulted in orders for $6.4 billion in penalties and disgorgement. 30 of these actions were related to the crypto industry, which resulted in $242 million in monetary penalties and represents a 33, no, 36% increase over the 22 actions announced in 2021. So, hold on. 750 enforcement actions resulted in, wait, where was it? 750 enforcement actions and 30 of them, 30 of them were, were crypto related. So 30 divided by 750 is exactly 4% of the ill of, of the malcontent, the, 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 the financial terrorism that is cryptocurrency, 4% of it. That's what the rest of its legacy financial shit. What it should say is that of all enforcement actions, 96% of it was legacy financial shit. He is jumping up and down about how dastardly this shit is. And it turns out that the math tells me that only 4% of the enforcement actions for fiscal year 2022 had anything to do with crypto. And I guarantee you, none of it had anything to do with Bitcoin because that's the way we roll. Now, Lincoln Technologies launches Rails programming tool for Bitcoin miners. Oh joy, bitcoinmagazine.com, BTC Casey. Lincoln Technologies, a Vancouver-based firm, has launched a new programming tool for the Bitcoin mining industry known as Rails. The software solution aims to enable Bitcoin miners to optimize their operations, source energy more efficiently, and maximize profits through the integration of real-time data from over 20,000 grid nodes in nine deregulated electricity markets in Canada and the United States. According to the press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine, they literally can't spell their own name right. BTC Casey, Magazine, Bitcoin Magazine, you missed the E, pal, and so did your editor. According to the press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine, Rails will allow miners and energy producers to automate tasks for large-scale operations, adjust energy use by algorithmically under- and overclocking ASICs, and protect their profit margins based on real-time Bitcoin prices and network statistics. Mehdi Nasiri, the CEO of Lincoln Technologies, expressed excitement at the launch of Rails, saying, God, I hope this isn't suit speak, quote, our team has been working hard and smart to develop a tool that addresses the most pressing challenges facing Bitcoin miners now and in the near term. With Rails, miners can take their operations to the next level by automating and optimizing their energy usage, reducing operational costs, and increasing profits. We help miners minimize the challenges of Bitcoin mining and move toward real-time energy trading. End quote. Okay, not so bad. A little suit speakish, but not bad, not bad. 
at least they were saying, you know, not saying something about making everything better for everybody in the future. That's pure, that's pure suit speak right there. Anyway, Rails is designed to meet the specific needs of Bitcoin miners and is compatible with all Antminer and What's Miner mining ASIC models. The software is customizable and is backed by a team of experienced professionals available to support and guide users. The press release states, the company believes that the introduction of Rails will enable miners to maximize their profitability while minimizing the challenges of Bitcoin mining. More information about Rails can be found at Lincoln Technologies website. And that website is uh, Lincoln. Oh, no, Lincoin. I'm, I, I was pronouncing it Lincoln the whole time. Oh, my God. No, I'd see. Okay. BTC Casey, one for one, pal. I screwed up this entire thing too. It's not Lincoln. It's Lynn Coin. <laughs> Lynn Coin. And you can go to their website at lincoin.com. What else is here? Oh, joy. City says mass adoption of crypto will be driven by CBDCs and tokenization. Oh my God. This is going to be awful, isn't it? Liam J. Kelly for decrypt.co. <coughs> City CITI says the industry is finally approaching an inflection point and that blockchain technology will soon see billions of users and trillions of dollars in value. In its latest report, Money, Tokens, and Games, Blockchain's Next Billion Users and Trillions in Value, City analysts suggest that the next influx of crypto adoption will be powered primarily by the rise of central bank digital currencies and the tokenization of real-world assets. During a panel event during uh, today during the City Digital Money Symposium, which coincided with the report's release, the bank's future of finance lead, Ronit Goes, suggested that there will be $5 trillion circulating in the economy in CBDCs by the end of the decade. Still, he did add a caveat that most of it will not be blockchain-based. Some of it will have blockchain interoperability interoperability or be DLT specific. DLT refers to distributed ledger technology, which does not necessarily include using a blockchain. It's all bullshit. This swift adoption would be due to the myriad advantages per the report, including an interoperable payment instrument and general enthusiasm from developing economies. They're not enthusiastic, guarantee. Still, there are nonetheless clear risks, notably protecting user privacy and users pulling deposits from smaller commercial banks to move over to a CBDC. Another key driver behind mass crypto adoption <clears throat> will be tokenization or bringing traditional financial assets onto the blockchain. City said it could be a killer use case for blockchain technologies. We already have one. Estimating that tokenization could grow by a factor of 80x in private markets and reach up to almost $4 trillion in value by 2030. Efficiency cited including disintermediation within financial markets, composability with cryptocurrencies, and ultimately a shared golden source infrastructure upon which different asset classes could exist on the same network. Good luck. Naturally, there are clear roadblocks on the way to this golden standard, and it's called Bitcoin. <laughs> I added the Bitcoin part. Regulatory clarity is perhaps the largest, with few jurisdictions offering a clear framework for adopting traditional assets on-chain. There may also be pushback from those in the financial industry, reports City, as the disintermediation such technologies offer could render their jobs obsolete. 100% bullshit. 
out of decrypt.co. Actually, it's not, they're just reporting on it. It's not their fault that these morons over at Citibank just don't get it yet. Distributed ledger technology was put to bed before I moved out of Canyon. We already have been joking about that shit for years before anyway. The CBDC may not be dead on arrival, but it will be easily killed along with the disposal of its afterbirth. I'm telling you, we're just going to throw it in the fire. The whole goddamn thing. We're just like, don't use it. Don't acknowledge it. Don't take it as a vendor. Just say, no, I'm not going to take it. And you know what's really funny about all this? That I don't think anybody's really looking at this. When Walmart moves into a town like Durango, Colorado, what is, one of the first things that they say is how they're going to increase the revenue stream on a square foot basis for the entire county. Not much just the, the city, but the whole county. And A, that's not actually correct. They're, they're always proven wrong. The per square, like the dollars per square foot, uh, does not increase. In fact, it decreases. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of problems with that or a lot of reasons for that. One, and most notably, a lot of small businesses and mom and pop shops are put out of business because Walmart came in. This is not conjecture. It's not tinfoil hattery. We know this to be true and we've known this to be true for decades. All right? So the same goes for very large corporations, mammoth corporations in food and pharmaceuticals and manufacturing and service providers and construction and you name it, right? Just think of whatever industry you're thinking about, like computer industry, think of Dell, you know, or TSMC. But when you get into chip manufacturing, that's very, very specialized. Not a whole lot of people can pull that shit off, but putting computers together, Anybody can pull that shit off. You just need to buy cases and motherboards and the chips that are already built from TSMC or wherever they come from. And you just, you know, you, you put it together. That's all Dell does. Dell doesn't develop operating systems. And they don't develop chips and they don't build motherboards. They just buy it all OEM and throw it all together. And there you have Dell. And it's a massive monolithic major player that basically put all the homeboys in their dorm rooms out of business because when he was, Michael Dell was doing it in his homeroom or in his dorm room at University of Texas before he dropped out, he knew he wanted to put all of his friends out of business. Only Dell, Dell will take CBDCs. Coca-Cola will take CBDCs. Walmart will take CBDCs. All the big, massive, shiny, glass-fronted buildings on the face of the fucking planet will definitely take CBDCs. And more and more mom-and-pop shops will not. And more and more demand for somebody to build or fix them or service them in some way, shape, fashion, or form at a small scale so that they don't have to use CBDCs will come online. Maybe they'll call it the real black market because it's not just black market goods. It's like whole businesses, gun shops. Not going to do like Winchester decides, you know what? Not going to do this. We're, we're just going to sell our guns at farmer's markets and we're just going to take Bitcoin. I don't know if that'll happen. I'm just saying that 
more what you what used to be eaten up by the massive glass-faced buildings in New York will flow out of them just like you're seeing people flow out of cities back into the rural thing because when people came into from the rural places out you know specifically after World War II the depletion of the United States and Europe and a whole bunch of other things it all happened all over the world rural flooded into urban and then you have all these centers built up, these massive cities. It wasn't just the people that came that that got consolidated in one place. It was their services. It was their, you know, their goods. It was whatever it is that they did. And then they literally got all their services and good and manufacturing capability taken out of their hands, and they were basically turned into serfdom immediately. Well, now you're going to see it go back the other direction. People are more moving out to the country. When they do that and there's no glass-faced building to give them a Walmart, somebody's going to figure out that they can make their own jeans. Somebody's going to figure out that they can make their own sweaters. Maybe they do it with, with machines that are automated themselves, but all this shit's going to go from centralized to decentralized and CBDCs will be the cause of it. We're going to get back what we lost in a mechanism that we never thought would give it to us. But we've got to be vigilant that we force CBDCs to actually be the thing that causes the destruction of that which created it in the first place. If you have no idea where my thinking is coming from, another book that I recommend everybody read or listen to, Sun Tzu, Art of War. There's a reason everybody mentions it. Somebody's I heard somebody laugh out there at me, point and go, oh, you're one of those fucking suit wearing corporate type guys. No, no, that book is read by everybody under the sun in corporate world. Yeah, but none of them understand it. And I can tell that because are very few, some get it and you know who they are. They're people like, oh, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, as much as I hate that guy, he, he's a guy that gets Sun Tzu Art of War. But your basic banker that's trying to figure out a way to get a million dollar bonus check next year and he reads the thing 10 times in a row, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Sun Tzu, Art of War, go read it. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. I love my job. Lately, colleagues have been writing names on the food in the office refrigerator. I'm currently eating a yogurt called Susan. How cute. That joke embodies exactly what's going on and has been going on in legacy finance, legacy banking, legacy government for decades. Was your food... They're so enveloped in themselves and narcissistic and that they don't understand that what they're doing is they're eating what's yours. They're eating your property. You put your name on it to identify it as yours so nobody would touch it. And all these people come along and they don't understand the concept of somebody else's property. That's where this entire thing stems from. Psychopaths and sociopaths, you know, especially sociopaths go out and kill somebody and they show no remorse. 
and you don't understand why. Well, that's because you're not a sociopath. You, you're like, how on earth could this person not feel remorse for killing this small child in front of their mother? One of the most horrific scenes that you could possibly imagine in your entire life. And the sociopath doesn't understand why people don't understand why he doesn't feel remorse. He has no concept of what remorse is. That's what a sociopath is. Biden and probably Trump and Obama and the Bushes and all these guys that have been our, you know, presidents. They're sociopaths. They're not good people. They do not recognize your property as yours. They don't understand why you took the time to name it a cute little name. You know, it's like they throw, I guess they're like, like this joke. It's cute that you did that, but I don't see why you wasted your energy to write your name on it. I don't understand that. It's really good though. Thanks for, you know, it's, it's really good. I'm eating it now. I, I have no con- concept why you're looking at me like I'm, I'm crazy. I mean, it's, it's mine. I have it in my possession. So therefore I, I can do with it what I will. That's where we're at. This joke is 100% the embodiment of what's been going on since at least 1971 when Nixon took us off the gold standard, but more likely 1913. However, there are people who will look at that and say, oh no, no, that was the end game from what started in 1858 or something like that. You know, it wasn't like one day these guys just got into a train and went to Jekyll's Island and did all this bullshit and then voted on it to an almost nearly empty Congress over Christmas, right? No, this was planned. And there are many people who say that that was the culmination of a plan that started decades before. And this planning goes on by these sociopaths and all they're doing is making it legal for them to do whatever it is that they want. And they don't get, want to hear about what you want. They're just going to eat your property and they think it's cute that you took the time to give your property a cute little name so that they would at least have, I don't know, maybe anthropomorphogenic feelings while they're usurping your property. Nah, none of these people deserve to be able to breathe the same air that we, that we breathe. That doesn't mean violence people. For anybody who's like, oh man, you've been calling for a lot of violence. No, I just want them gone. I don't want them hurt. I just don't want, I mean, even if they, even if they stay, I don't want them to matter. Not to me. Maybe they matter to their own families. That's why violence is never good because there's always somebody who does love that person, even though we can't understand why. And it's not up to us to understand why to give them the right to live. They have the right to live. I'm just saying, I don't want them having any power. Whether we move them to a desert island or not, it doesn't matter. I just want them gone. Unable to touch me. Unable to interfere with me. Unable to tell me what to do. Where they, like, maybe they're right next to me and completely alive and healthy and saying, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And I'm going to say, no, I'm not. And, and, I'm, I'm, and I just don't think we're going to be arresting anybody today. <laughs> that was my favorite scene. Favorite scene in Tombstone. You know, like Doc, it's like right after the OK Corral shootout, you know, and you got Doc Holliday and the whole gang up there. And then the marshal for the county comes in and says, I'm arresting all of you. And homeboy just looks at him and says, I don't think we're going to allow you to arrest us today, Marshal. 
that's sort of the way that we've got to do it. And I don't know how. Thankfully, in the United States, we are, we are still armed. So they have, you know, people that want to do this have a sense that there is a danger involved in possibly doing this. You know, that it's possible that they could get hurt, you know. But in European countries or any disarmed countries, it doesn't mean anything for armed forces to go do whatever they want to their population. That's why they disarm the population. The only thing that's changed over the last few decades is the advent of Bitcoin. And you might just want to pick some up in case it catches on. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.